right now, this episode seems to be one of those words. The episode of obvious answers. But yeah, he's not wearing Spectrum, obviously. No. So when they decide to use it, which they didn't actually show them using it, they got it wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do like the animation. I'll give them that. Uh, I just like to know how the mask lowers onto rack. <laughs> right. Computer, scan files. Select mask agents best suited for this mission. Jason Gross, radio broadcaster, retro gamer, blogger, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename 6000, 80s guru skills critical, Wyatt Bloom, broadcast technician, DJ, critic, mask movie co-writer, vehicle codename Phoenix, 80s analysis vital. Personnel approved. Assemble Mobile Armored Strike Command. Welcome, Agents of Mask, to MaskCast 62, which continues our Season 5 stretch to review Episodes 41 to 50 of the Mobile Armored Strike Command animated series. On this podcast, we will examine Episode 47, The Lost Fleet, which includes our usual play-by-play commentary, along with audio clips mixed in from the actual episode for those of you who listen to the podcast and are not on YouTube. At the dramatic halfway point and at the finale of the episode, we'll state our opinions and rate using our 1 to 5 scale system. After we've completed our review, we'll then read back listener comments as well as the results of our poll. If you are new to the show, just visit our website at agentsofmask.com and look for the mass cast assignment in the right hand column to vote and then leave a comment review if you'd like we will also post our live google hangout recording session typically on facebook and twitter a few hours in advance but if you miss it you can always watch us as some of you are on the agents of mask youtube channel the lost fleet was originally broadcast on december 3rd 1985 in the united states features mask trying to stop venom who goes to Iceland in search of the legendary Golden Fleet of Ships. Also get our first look at Agent Jacques Lafleur and his volcano van for Mask, as well as Agent Nash Gorey in Outlaw for Venom. We'll also see Matt Tracker and Miles Mayhem in some new uniforms and masks as well. So this ought to be a good episode for us to review. I am Jason. One of your hosts of MassCast, and with me as always is my longtime friend and fellow co-host, the Dark Rider to my Brett Matthews. It was a stormy night when a bolt of lightning forced me off the road. My car skidded into a government laboratory where a top-secret experiment was underway. I swerved into the path of Dr. Chase's molecular transfer ray, causing me and my car to become one. The incredible Turbo Team. Wyatt, are you feeling hot or cold tonight? Yeah, no I'm drawing a blank on that one. <laughs> Good, I got you one time. I think I, I was thinking I'd used this one before, but 
Dark Rider is the villain, and Brett Matthews is the person who also is known as Turbo Teen. Do you remember Turbo Teen? Oh, wow. That's ancient <laughs> history for me. But uh, yes, I do remember. I used to love watching that. I don't. It's been um, very little do I remember. Um, I remember his. Uh, I remember his face. Uh, basically, one of the transformations. I remember his yeah. teeth like grew to turn into the grill, so-called grill of the right. Pontiac. For those of you, for those of you who don't remember, Turbo Team was basically a boy. He had a few friends. I believe the story goes he was uh, driving along in his car one stormy night, and he goes crashing into this lab where they're doing some kind of molecular test, and he gets zapped, and he now, with, uh, I believe it's with heat, he can turn into a car, his car, Yes. and when he gets cold, extreme cold, then he turns back into the boy. So, uh, it was a short-lived show. It was only 13 episodes. It was, uh, produced by Ruby Spears, who, uh, you know, was a pretty major animation company back then. They, they did some short-lived ones. Like I, I, I'm pretty sure they were behind like the Rubik's cube one. And if you remember that one and, but they had some major shows as well that, uh, Ruby Spears did. And, uh, it was basically broadcast between 84 and 85. What I didn't realize is after doing a little bit of research is the main bad guy who is uh, dark rider. He's basically, I don't think you ever see his face, but he drives around in this big monster truck and he's trying to figure out, I guess, you know, turbo teens powers or something. He was voiced by Frank Welker, who was uh, Megatron. And nice. Various, 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 various other <laughs> characters on various other shows. If you just run through Frank Welker's uh, Wikipedia, you'll see he was on pretty much every show, cartoon show in the 80s and beyond. He was the new Garfield in the, the newer uh, uh, Garfield show. So he's he's still trucking right along in his career, but he, he was a dark rider and he was actually the dog in this show too. Rusty. Uh, he did. Yeah. He did a lot of animal voices too. If you'll go through his, uh, his Wikipedia and the doctor, I believe it's Dr. Chase that kind of helps turbo teen was done by, uh, Pat Fraley. And, uh, for those of you who know the teenage mutant Ninja turtles, series he was the voice of krang i think he was also maybe baxter stockman in that show so turbo teen had some pedigree (laughs) as far as uh voice actors go and uh i i think it was one of those shows too that kind of lived on in syndication i i want to say maybe it was part of the usa cartoon express when that was on in the early 90s so yeah it was it lived past its years even though it was only like 13 episodes so i don't know it it was a show that always fascinated me it was in that time of uh, i i think it actually predated or might have came out right about the time that transformers did 
1984. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Transformers came out in 1984. So there was this big explosion, you know, of GoBots and Transformers. And, you know, imagining yourself as one, (laughs) pretty much, you know, with that show. I don't know. I was always fascinated by it in that, like you said, that image of him uh, transforming into the car, his face becoming the front and the grill, and then his hands becoming the tires, you know. Tires, yeah. It's just one of those things that etched in, that gets etched into your brain and cannot well, that one, like, unsee it, you know. <laughs> right. There, there was one episode. I don't remember all of it. Uh, but I guess one of the ones that really sticks out for that show is where he's half and half. I don't remember the plot. Yes. I don't remember how it happened. But like the front half of him is him, the the, the kid, and you still have the basically the hatchback <laughs> and the rear axle is of the yeah. car is still on him. I'm like, how was this even? I mean, obviously, it's a cartoon, but it's just the whole, uh, I guess live logistics of it but you know turbo team was it did come out in a toy form albeit kind of lame i'm not i hate to say it that way but it was kind of lame because you have the pontiac transforming into a whole huge robot with the dude's face as the head i don't remember that i don't remember it having a, a toy maybe it did it did have a short-lived toy and i remember seeing it oh i saw it in one of these um it was a Facebook post. I see it periodically, not often, but you know, it's mm-hmm. one of those where you're a child of the eighties or do you remember when uh, in those type of posts? And it's, you know, sometimes you see it more than once. You know, I see married with the children quite often. Uh-huh. I see Alf, I see a few others. And that one, that, that toy seems to pop up every now and then in my feeds. So it's kind of interesting be. to see. And you say about Frank Welker, I hope I'm not trying to extend our rabbit trail by any means, but (laughs) because of his voice, I didn't realize how dynamic his voice was. And I was watching and I know I, I bloated about it. I think on the last mass cast, you know, we bought the Transformers movie uh, DVDs when they finally, finally came out on DVD. Still have the cassette and maybe we, you and I should do a rediscover the eighties or maybe our new, a memory jogger thing about just Transformers the movie, but uh, mm-hmm. anyway, I was watching the behind the scenes. The twenty, they actually had the twentieth anniversary. I'll call it a reunion, so to speak, like a Q and A panel. Anyway, all that to say, um, man, I can't remember his uh, Jack Angel. Jack Angel mm-hmm. and I, I, I know he wasn't. He was in Transformers, but he wasn't that big. I see him more because of. Uh, playing on Voltron. That's where I re- recognize him. He played Keith and a few others. Uh, but anyway, he was talking about Frank Walker and how dynamic his voice was and how he could really just like turn on a dime with his voice. He'd be that raspy Megatron voice. And then he'd turn around and he'd be Wheelie. He was a voice of Wheelie. Right. The high-pitched, you know, Frank, you not, I am, whatever, however the line yeah. goes. And I'm like, I can't, I cannot picture him being able to flip that gear like that, but yeah, the the best ones can. He was one of them. I hate to see um, the, the the guy that did Starscream. I hate to see how his voice because you know, he's always literally that he fit the name. Chris Lotta, yeah, yeah, he he fit the name for screaming. I swear he screamed into the mic. He had to. Have. Yeah, but uh, but well, anyway, yeah. I mean, Frank like Walker. I said, we go on 
different rabbits. That was a yeah. great, uh, when you said Frank Welker, I'm like, man, that one guy is, he is very dynamic and I applaud him. Very. Like That's that why game. he's still sought after to this day. I mean, so he's, He's probably uh, top of the heap when it comes to voice actors in anim- animation and beyond. Uh, and I was really, I'm really surprised they didn't. Too. Right, I'm, I'm really surprised. And maybe it was a contract, maybe it was whatever. But I was really surprised when you know the very first, I'll call it the new, Transformers movie came out, that he wasn't picked up for Megatron. Yeah. Well, Megatron. and. He was and I honestly, used, I'll be honest, I didn't do my research and I thought he had passed away and that's why. But that was my assumption. I never really looked into Frank. Yeah, to, they did bring him back him. for Transformers Prime because he was Megatron in Transformers Prime with uh, Optimus. Who's Optimus? Um, Peter gosh. Cullen. Peter Cullen, thank you. So they were reunited uh, for that series. So I was happy to see him back there. But can you imagine? You know, think about it. You know, like we talked with Doug and how they have the reunions. Can you imagine their reunions? Yeah. (laughs) This is the end of the line, or no? That's I'm sorry. That's that's Rodimus Prime. Um, One shall stand, one shall fall. You know, or him going, or Frank going. You're an idiot, Starscream. Just kind of that kind of thing. Yeah, I'd love to be in that studio, fly on the wall. Yeah, yeah that would be great. Well, uh, let's go ahead and move on. We, uh, if you're interested in seeing more about Turbo Teen, I did put a supercut of all his transformations together over on the Rediscover the '80s channel on YouTube, and that was uh, the episodes were I think actually in German or Spanish, and so I had just to put down like a like a backing track, but uh, I did get them all in there. There's quite a few actually. Uh, some of them are basically the same transformation, just different backgrounds, but there's some in there, like what you're talking about where he's like half and half and it's just, I don't know. It's weird. It's almost <laughs> like a train wreck. You can't look away, you know? <laughs> anyway, go check that out on the, the rediscover the eighties channel. But uh, how about we get our mask on, get your mask on. Well, before uh, I get into the community news, I wanted to take a minute to gloat. <laughs> uh, and it's been a while since uh, we had Mask Day, over a month now ago. But uh, I was actually lucky. I uh, I won the, the contest for the Mask PNA Facebook group and uh, got this excellent Matt Tracker bust that... I'm going to show off here for our YouTube watchers. But, uh, gosh, this thing is so cool. Basically, there was like four questions that you had to answer. And uh, I luckily get notifications when every time somebody, you know, posts something over in that PNA Facebook group. And I uh, knew about the time it was going on, and I got over there maybe – I don't know, it was maybe 10 or 10 minutes or 15 minutes after the contest started. And I saw some of the um, answers already. And it was, you had to, you had to name all the toys. I think that Matt Trecker and Miles Mayhem were featured in. 
And then you had to name the third appearance of Dwayne Kennedy from the PNA. <laughs> and then I think the last thing was just like, you know, what's, what's the mask slogan, which everybody knows what that is. So I saw some of the answers and I noticed they missed the, uh, uh, the laser command toy, which was both Matt tracker and miles mayhem were, it was, uh, it was like that, uh, blue firecracker truck and, uh, a crate that became a jet and they battled and they could shoot like light at each other and the, right. the car would blow up. Uh, noticed they missed that. So I was like, okay, let me add that in there. And then I took a wild guess at the, uh, Dwayne Kennedy episode I knew there was that he was introduced pretty early. I was thinking it was maybe the Highway of Terror that he was in. And then I knew he was in Assault on Liberty. I remembered that. And it helped <laughs> pretty much helped that we've been, you know, going through these episodes one by one. So anyway, uh I was banking on that there was maybe one episode in between those two that he was in. So I said Assault on Liberty. And turns out I got it right. So right. I won this this awesome Matt Tracker bust from uh, Karsten Satcher made out of, uh, I think it's polyurethane. And I chose to go with the bronze effect, removable mask. Uh, really cool. And uh, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to put that on my desk at work just because <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure it stays in my position. <laughs> Here you there. Uh, and also with that was a really unique item. Uh, and forgive me, the person that, that made this, but it was it's basically uh, a keychain and with a design that's uh, inspired by Thunderhawk with the purple and the red and that somewhat of a lightning bolt there. Uh, might be hard to see. I guess I, you can see it pretty well there, but... Uh, that was kind of a bonus uh, with that Matt Tracker bus. So I was happy to get that as well. And then we both received a little fun little thing after the uh, comic book came out. I saw over on Twitter our pal uh, Darren Gregson, who uh, is big into comics. He works for a comic book shop now. And uh, he sent us over these awesome uh, thank you cards, basically. And they've got, the one I chose was uh, Rhino. And you got, what did you get? You got Jackhammer? Jackhammer. He was gracious enough to write us a little note about uh, basically just thanking us for the show and everything we do. And uh, sent us one of these. They were actually given away when that Mask Revolution comic came out as uh, freebies. Right. For anybody who uh, bought that, I thought that was a really neat thing to do. So I just wanted to basically thank him for sending us the thank you note. And yeah. part of this what he great. said, I was just going to say, part of what he said in here was uh, talking about his favorite part of MassCast was when you and I kind of reminisce and, you know, like that little <laughs> thing we just went through on Turbo Teen and, our childhood and stuff that we'll bring up during the show. I, I think part of that 
sediment is why we started this new podcast for Rediscover the 80s called Memory Jogger. It's just fun to, since we go back 30 plus years, right. to uh, to just reminisce and try to remember our childhood. And one of us will remember something and then it'll trigger another rabbit trail. You know, we've been going to <laughs> go down these rabbit trails. So that uh, is uh, it's kind of all about those rabbit trails. Yeah. You and, know, uh, how, in fact, we even mentioned it, I think in the first meet the, meet the, uh, meet us episode of memory jogger. We kind of say that, well, tr- you know, when we're in mass cast, we tend to start steering away into to rabbit trail number seven or eight before we're like, you know what, let's steer back to what we're supposed to be talking. About. So for memory jogger, we will have a topic, but we're letting it kind of free flow. And then it, if it goes down bunny trail number 13, that's where it's going to go. And, you know, right. That's just how it goes. And we're keeping it very fluid, uh, very little, I'll call it homework for that show. I mean, we, we kind of did a little bit of a homework for our, our, our uh, Halloween special, which was episode two. Yeah. But it's not, not like, not like the extensive homework we typically do for mass cash where right. you know, we both watch the episode uh, for me. Anyway, the 22 minute episode turns into an hour of taking notes uh, just to do this mass cast episode guide. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, it's this, that's uh, like we said, we, we enjoy reminiscing about our past. We enjoy uh, our childhood and our youth. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that's why we've been going through back the show. And, too. Yeah. Because, you know, we'd sit there, you know, for 30 some years, this is what Jason and I have done. And it's hilarious what we do. We'll, you know, we joke sometimes, even on online. Sometimes when we haven't heard from each other for for a day or two, which sometimes is extensive, but you know, it'll be day two or three, and we're like, "Where is he?" And well, and what's funny is most of the time we'll send out a one liner in the subject line or something. You know, you know, uh, one of Jason's favorite things from Stooges is, um, "Adios, skip the gutter," and it he he cracks up or used to use he used to crack up a lot with that one stupid line. Yeah, and you know we I don't know what his day is like, so I try to send him <laughs> one line like that to think maybe maybe he's uh, has a heavy workload or something or just is in the way type of thing. And Jason does the same thing. He'll he'll send me sometimes it's three stooges. We got we got know a lot of one liners out of there, but it could be a you know something from the movie "See No Evil, Hear No Evil" or. Uh, or uh, one of our favorites was, um, oh man, what was that John Ke- John Candy movie? Armed oh. and Dangerous. Armed and Dangerous. Yeah, we could go every which way with that one, but um, but yeah, th- we just love to reminisce, and we might as well, you know, put it to good use and put it out there on Memory Jogger via Re- Rediscover the Eighties, yeah. and uh, it- it's just fun. We love to podcast. We like to broadcast. We got into this business eons ago it seems and right um we're just taking it to our, our what we'll call our level <laughs> right right but you know part of that does flow out of this podcast and uh just wanted to to give a shout out to darren and uh his comic book yeah. store which is uh called paradox you can follow them paradox cnc on twitter um 
thanks, Darren, for you know giving us that little push into uh, this other podcast. And obviously, we'll continue right. to do it on this show as well. But it was. I'll uh, try to keep it, it a mask mostly. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So, uh, well, maybe just one uh, that I wanted to pass along is that uh, we got the mask comic book series coming up uh, very soon, kind of solo series separate from the Revolution comic. And uh, I'm not going to go too far into that just because we have gone into it in detail on our last couple MassCast chats. But um, the first issue of that new comic is going to come out November 30th. Uh, They had pushed it back a week. It was previously the 23rd. But uh, just confirmed, I believe it was today, uh, after I saw it over on Previews World that they had moved it to the 30th, I uh, messaged Brandon to see if he could find out because, you know, he does not necess- even though he's the writer, he's not necessarily into the production and the, the flow of when, you know, the, the, the books is actually getting released. But uh, he did confirm that, I believe it was today, that it's going to be the 30th. And the issue two is, I think, is currently scheduled for like December, mid December. Uh, and then the, the third issue is, I think, more towards the end of January. So uh, be sure to hit your comic book stores at the end of the month and uh, pick up that first issue. And we'll obviously be back here probably doing a chat mm-hmm. and, uh, and giving our own review of the book. Once it comes out, but uh, you got anything else you wanted to pass along, Wyatt, for uh, get your mask on? Just um, briefly, and I, I clicked off of Facebook, but Brandon Easton has been sharing some more artwork with us, uh, some covers. Mm-hmm. If you go to Agents of Mask uh, Facebook page, you can see some more covers, and I'm I'm really impressed with all the covers that I'm, I'm seeing over there and, and the comments that are yes. coming in for that. It's, it's really nice. You know, like we, we've said, we've asked at something. It's not a movie yet. And there is talks now. There is a movie uh, board, I guess, basically uh, writing the script. So, you know, uh, we are seeing a dream fulfilled. Uh, so it's, right. we're just, Basically, on the edge of our seat, waiting to see Mask in the theater, or maybe they'll, right. you know, change gears and put it into an episode format. But uh, yeah, and we uh, discussed this, a little bit. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I said I'm just. This is this is what we've been asking for. It's for us, you and me, Jason. It's been four or five years in the making, and we're finally seeing it happen. And I know for many of us, it's been much much longer. Uh, at least for you and I in, in, in Agents of Math, it's been about a five-year yeah. wait, and it's and it's finally coming. Right. Um, I did put together a quick little video of all seven uh, covers that will be uh, produced for that first comic. Uh, there's several of those, like, uh, 10 and 25-copy variant covers, that will be rare. Uh, and one of the rare ones, it looks like a, uh, a, a box from boy release, which is really cool. I had the opportunity to pre-order that. And I think they wanted like 12 bucks for it or something. Uh, 
so that one's going to be a little bit rare, but there's several very uh, talented uh, cover artists involved with that besides, you know, Tommy Lee Edwards, who was doing uh, the main covers. But uh, what I decided to do was try to pre-order some of the uh, variant covers, and then I'm going to go to my comic book stores here and uh, and pick up the regular uh, cover issues to have. So uh, spread spread the love around a little bit uh, <laughs> when it comes to uh, to buying the the issues. But uh, yeah, I know Brandon has said he's going to be available probably that first release day to sign some autographs if you're in the Los Angeles area. Uh, he's going to do that again, and um, you know we'll, we'll keep you up to date as we always do over on Facebook and on Twitter when they release these images, we've got some interior images that they've released some like pencil drawings. I think that was for issue number two. So they're all the time trying to release stuff and give us little subtle hints. I saw that uh, Brandon Easton replied to somebody. I think it was on Facebook and said that the first, maybe one or two issues uh, take place in Barbados. Hmm. So, uh, I don't know if that's the you know the full story or part of the story, what's going on, but they like to throw out little hints and little uh, details like that. And uh, I've been reading into that a lot. I know uh, some other people have as well. Uh, Scott over on the Mass Comics blog, he's been uh, doing reviews, and uh, they released those uh, bios for Matt and for Miles at the end of, I think it was Revolution number three. And that gave us a lot of detail into the backstory and where they're kind of going with these main characters in the solo series, I think, is what that was essentially meant for. And uh, it's going to be interesting because there's some uh, there's some unknowns there about Matt's backstory and his heritage. And it there's some uh, <laughs> there's really a, what I thought was a tribute to Scott and T-Bob saying in Matt's backstory that he liked to uh, build droids for his mother when he was a kid because his dad was always working and never at home. So he like build droids to help her around the house. <laughs> I was like, that's a, that's a total, you know, Scott T-Bob tribute right there. Oh, yeah. uh, building that into Matt's story. So uh, again, I've, I've probably gotten too much into the comics. Like I said, I wasn't going to, but Go over and listen to what we've talked about and uh, uh, go over to our website. I did a little, uh, what I called a prelude to the comic book series as I kind of dove into the first three plots that have been revealed for each of the issues and some and those bios uh, and tried to do some detective work, I guess you'll say, <laughs> into what we might see in the, in the books. But um I think it's interesting stuff, and I thought there was a lot of uh, 1985 built in, I guess you'll say, to the new story. Uh, that it it's definitely not, in my opinion, mask in name only. It's it's a good mixture. It's about fifty fifty, I would say, at this point of uh, of heritage from the cartoon series and comics and new stuff and. Uh, twists and turns that they've built in there. So I'm anxious to read it. I hope it's good. 
and I hope the uh, the fan community will embrace it so we can keep moving forward. Because I did, and this, again, uh, I just read this story today. I had not realized that there is uh, two IDW books that have been adapted into TV series. One is that uh, Winona Earp. I think it's on the WB or CW network. Hmm. Uh, that was an IDW comic that's a television series now. And then there's, they're developing one in the UK that stars uh, Elijah Wood. can't remember the name of it uh, just because I'm not deep into IDW's comics. But, you know, you, you never know if they could use this comic book. Uh, maybe not maybe not the, the full story, but they could use this this background, this uh, foundation that they're setting to uh, go into the movie or uh, who knows, maybe even a television series, but uh, it's, I'm not ruling anything out at this point. You know, we kind of poo pooed on getting toys from the comic books, but I don't know if uh, IDW continues to grow. And this is a, you know, a good story and, and popular among the fans and, Popular among uh, new fans, who knows? So uh, I'm I'm anxious to dive into it. Same here. But uh, anyway, you got anything else you want to add, or should we uh, go ahead and get over to Iceland? I think we should start the Mascast. We fade up on a lush green oceanside scene as we begin to zoom in into a small city. We cut to a few vessels and then into a restaurant with Scott saying that he'd basically have one of each of the pastries. As a waitress enters, if he has any more, his sweet tooth will need to call in for reinforcements. Here we go. Bruce, yeah, exactly. Bruce foot stomps uh, that response with a quip. He who eats too much sugar soon has sweet nothings where his teeth used to be. I'll just have one of those lollipops. But, Scott, that's not a lollipop. It's Hartfisker, dried fish. Matt enters the picture where he mentions that he's pleased that he's eating something good. Scott barely gets it down with a few smirks and a giggle from T-Bob lightening the mood. The man asks the waitress, uh, Brenda, if lunch is ready as he must leave soon. She states that he, she's made a special lunch for the guests with uh, Scott leaning over to T-Bob, suspecting that it's Vikings food. T-Bob can't help but think it's corn on the cob. I think he says horn on the cob, doesn't he? Is that what he says? It sounded like corn. Yeah, because I was rolling my eyes (laughs) again at that one. But I like Scott. He kind of rejected it. He's like kind of folding his arms in disgust. (laughs) So... Yeah, well, I don't know. This uh, this beginning was kind of typical for your overseas, you know, journey, and I wasn't really too intrigued at this point. I don't know about you. No, I wasn't. Um, I was hoping that this, to see more is probably the best way way to put right. it. Uh, as everyone has finished lunch and sipping on their coffees with Scott. Having yet eaten his lunch, the gentleman states, You've been the great to help on the advisory board down at the plant, Matt. My pleasure, Toffee. 
I've always admired the Icelandic people and how they've harnessed geothermal energy. Gee, Dad, what does geothermal mean? Sounds like a new kind of underwear to me. Not quite, T-Bob. <laughs> uh, I, I actually laughed at that one. I chuckle, but... And I know it's script writers, but I'm, I'm more of like, come on, T-Bob. And then Matt states that it's heat contained under the surface and used his copy to basically illustrate. His illustration seems to resemble a volcano, as Scott says, with Bruce adding that it is how Iceland was actually formed. Tommy adds that, he, there, that there is a subway of empty tunnels that helps them channel that heat. Scott is fascinated, yet T-Bob doesn't seem to be as fascinated. Tommy then excuses himself, offering to give them a tour after he checks in into the plant. And then the uh, waitress, uh, or hostess, I, I guess you could say, her name was Brenda, I think. Um, she asked Scott if he wants more pickled herring. And he says no, that the Vikings must have had strong stomachs to eat this. T-Bob says they probably didn't turn green either, as Scott <laughs> gives them like a dirty look. Now, I... That was I like that kind of humor. Yeah, that was good. Just then, someone yells that they've been robbed. Help! We've been robbed! Come on, Bruce. Maybe we can catch the thief. Too bad the thief didn't stop here first. So we're taken outside. Uh, Matt and Bruce survey this uh, fleet of ships on the ocean there. A captain walks up, and Matt asks him, what happened? No one knows. While everyone was at the festival, all the sails disappeared. Even the north wind isn't strong enough to do that. Someone must have taken them. This is where, I'm sorry, but this is where I, uh-huh. I kind of did your, I know I used this, used this illustration before, but I'm going to use it again. You remember your Garfield poster from your bedroom? <laughs> well, duh. When did take him? Someone stole it. Duh. This is one of those where yeah. I'm like, you couldn't have. The scriptwriters couldn't have come up with something better there. <laughs> anyway. Well, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, Bruce says the man behind the sail might know something, but Scott says the captain just said he didn't know anything. Well, Matt interprets Bruce's little question there to mean the sail maker, the person that actually made the sails. And uh, uh, is it Brenda? <laughs> I keep forgetting her name. Yeah, it's Brenda. Brenda, the uh, hostess there says something strange is going on, that there are only three sailmakers in town, and two of them are missing. Matt suggests they contact the third one. Well, this was uh, some obvious logic here. Um, now we take it to the sailmaker's shop, and the place is ransacked, with Scott saying it looks like a storm hit in here. Matt follows that up by saying uh, all hands look like they were lost. Ha-ha. It seems there's not a scrap of sailcloth left in town but wherever it is it's the answer to whatever's going on let's check inland uh, right now this episode seems to be one of those words the episode of obvious answers <laughs> in, it does I, I understand what they're trying to do but it's like come on writers you couldn't have come up with something better but uh yeah yeah it was kind of a well you know the uh the absence of people or the kidnapping of people adds the drama more than if it was just the sales that they were looking for. So I at least thought that added a little bit to the mystery. 
But uh, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm I'm kind of with you on this one. But uh, after this, we're taking to uh, Thunderhawk now driving across the land. Right, where they've been searching for hours but haven't found anything. Wise man say, just when you think you see nothing, you see everything. It's nearly impossible to track anyone over this tundra. Hey, Dad, Bruce was right. I do see something over there. Snow! Matt jokes that they should investigate to see if it really is Christmas in July as they all jump back into Thunderhawk. I like the uh, the effect, the, like the wind effect. Yes, that was actually on good. the uh, their clothes and their hair at this point. I thought that was some pretty good animation. Yes, I was actually they actually put thought into that. Mm-hmm. Um, so they arrive and begin their investigation, and they notice that it's actually sailcloth. Bruce once again quips that no cobbler's elves made these perfect stitches. Scott asks. Who would want to have a sewing weave out here? Somebody who could cut these pieces with blades as sharp as a laser beam. Venom's the only one with a cutting edge that sharp. With that, it's time to call in the mass team, which is actually awesome. We see Thunderhawk peeling out with Matt joking they need to find out where Venom is giving sewing classes. Matt transforms Thunderhawk into jet mode with Scott excitedly saying that this is where the action begins. And now Dad just rains on his parade because he suggests that he be safer at the Lindquist house. The Thunderhawk monitors flip up with Matt saying, Level 1 emergency, select the best agents for mission in Iceland. And this is when we get uh, one of our newest candidates or newest mask agents called Jacques Lefleur with the Volcano Van. He has the expertise in harsh terrain operations and he uses a their little comic relief is he uses a huge table saw to cut his sandwich and decides to ditch it which gives his dog a very appreciative treat <laughs> and then Bruce, the computer spits out that Bruce Salto is already approved and that's it that's the team yep and I believe Jacques Lafleur's day job is a lumberjack yeah so that's why he's in like this wood shop cutting his sandwich with the table saw, <laughs> which is kind of comical. But uh, anyway. It, is. it reminds me, I, in fact, I just watched uh, that first Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie from the 80s, mm-hmm. trying to show Adam. And during the scene, you see, um, uh, what's his name? Casey Jones chopping carrots with Leonardo's sword. Right, right, so right. Just use the tools of your trade to get the job done, I guess. <laughs> Well, uh, after we uh, assemble the one-man team, or I guess two men since uh, Bruce is there, we finally get the Venom theme, and we zoom inside this cave from the tundra. Mayhem appears in his outlaw uniform and asks some nearby workers if they heard him. Well, we get the scope of the large uh, sewing operation now. We see Dagger and Nash Gorey are also assisting. Uh, Mayhem now gets more specific and he tells his two henchmen that he is talking to them. And Gorey chimes in 
telling him, sure thing, Mr. Mayhem, and that he always knows what's right. Uh, <laughs> Mayhem he is says, definitely the yes man. Yes. He, he's he's the ultimate minion, I guess you could say. <laughs> you always know what's right. That's because you fools do everything wrong. Yeah, you're right about that, too. Pick it up, Dagger, will you? You tell me what to do again, and I'll sew your lips together. Uh, Mayhem tells the sailmakers he wants double time out of them, and one says they need to rest, but Mayhem tells them to shut up and stitch if they want to ever see their families again, which I thought was a very good threat. Yeah. <laughs> From here, we get uh, Dagger uh, saying the work is uh, about to break his back, and he can't. They just blast their way in to this uh, tunnel or mountainside, whatever they're doing here at this point. And uh, Mayhem tells him no, that it would endanger the very thing that they are after. But he says it was probably already destroyed years ago. And then Mayhem corrects him with centuries, but then holds up some kind of cloth or paper saying that if his information is correct, it was buried under the ice and snow before the lava flow covered it. No one has ever looked for it because the fools thought it was destroyed. Fools like you! Now hurry! You're wasting more time with your stupid questions! And uh, just then we get Piranha pulling in with Rax, complaining how hot it is in there. And Mayhem gets angry again, saying he doesn't want a weather report. He just wants to know what happened. And Rax tells him the uh, people of Reykjavik will have to take cold showers because all the geothermal steam has been redirected for their use and points to some kind of gun or something in the sidecar. I couldn't tell what this was at the time. At last, the biggest discovery in a thousand years will soon be mine. (laughs) And we get his evil laugh and... It echoes as we kind of fade out from the tunnel and back onto the tundra and uh, back into the town of Reykjavik. So I really like this transition here with his laugh echoing. Yes. It was kind of cheesy, but at the same time, I don't know. That's that's mayhem. And, uh, Mayhem's the, cheesy? The fate, well, his that's his... Uh, his persona, the evil laugh and the, you know, I'm above everybody else and overconfidence, that kind of a thing. Right. Anyway, but I, I like the transition uh, as we get back to the house. Right. Scott states that, that it wasn't too bad. Then repeats with yelling. Steve Bob says that there must be something wrong with his mic and opens his lid to fix. What? Sorry. Something seems to be wrong with my mic. Bad? Uh, did you say the fish smell bad? Shh. I hope she didn't hear you. He's right. <laughs> she will. <laughs> uh, in the kitchen, Brenda has been food processing the dried fish. Then she removes earplugs and states that the power has quit just as a quake occurs. Whoa! It's an earthquake! Then I'm not the only thing off its rocker around here. Brenda ends up falling down a set of stairs with the duo basically approaching to look on and, and kind of, I guess, try to to rescue them. And mm-hmm. uh, then they end up getting knocked down. 
with Scott saying that he has T-Bob. Uh, he says, hold on to me, with T-Bob saying, who's got you? Hmm. They stumble down the steps and are thrown out onto the street, where Scott says that it's not an earthquake. The ground is coming up. T-Bob adds that it sure isn't a puff pastry. Uh-huh. Roll your eyes moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ground then opens up, and as the duo run away, another opens, which sends them actually plummeting to, uh, I don't know if you call it under the surface, but below. Mm-hmm. They attempt to climb out as they see the surface is actually closing now. Scott tries to use T-Bob's radio, but T-Bob states that it must have been broken in the fall. We see another attempt with Scott telling T-Bob to stand still so that he can try to get out. T-Bob replies that he needs to stand still so he can see what he's doing. As the surface continues to close, T-Bob attempts to use his go-go gadget arms, but <laughs> in this, in this, the way that they did the, the artistry or the camera work, I didn't see the go-go gadget arms. But I imagine that's no. what they were trying to use. But nonetheless, we, we see T-Bob's determined look to keep the wall from closing, but he is unable to stop it. He even mentioned that he's overextended. Now I know how being in a trash compactor feels. Keep trying. We can't give up. We can't. And we fade off to our commercial break. Where are you resting on this one? <laughs> uh, I'm again, I wasn't really um into this episode. I don't know. The missing sale mystery. It seemed like Matt was more concerned about the the sales missing than the actual sale makers. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, we're, t- <laughs> we're talking about missing people versus, you know, some cloth. Uh, I I just wasn't really wasn't really into it. I wasn't really thrilled about the laser beam deciphering that Matt has done, and I know he's done this before, where uh, this is only could only be lasers, you know, precision lasers that uh, Venom could use, you know, that kind of a thing, and. I don't know. I, I just don't see how you can decipher that from cutting it with scissors or something. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, yeah. I don't know if the lasers were really rare back then, or it, it would have been, it made more sense if he would have you know, like scanned it with spectrum or something and right. saw the precision of the cuts or something. It just would have made it more plausible than, I don't know what kind of came off in my, opinion uh decent drama at the break although you know i'm not sure if that's normal when the ground splits that it comes back together you know that was kind of weird the way that was going on i didn't really understand the mechanics of the whole earthquake slash ground moving and all that and i guess if you're pushing pressure up from it then it could move a bunch of different ways but Anyway, um, I was glad to see we were going to get a new agent, and we had some new agents there on Venom, and hopefully new vehicles. The puns were already on my nerves. Oh, yes. I I must have been like at least five instances where I put roll my eyes in my notes (laughs) at this point. Uh, There was a couple decent jokes, but it was I was already 
I was like, oh, I got another half an episode to go through. And it, to me, it only seemed like every time Bruce said something, it was just a saying. There wasn't real uh, a much more dialogue than that in right. this episode. And, uh, you know, I don't mind his saying so much when it's kind of just flowing and there's more dialogue. But when that's the only thing he's saying, I'm like, that's just, I don't know. I, I, for starting at our, on our one to five scale, we always started a five. Uh, I'm going all the way down to three Woo. at halftime. <laughs> oh. The majority of it was the jokes. It just weren't wearing on me. And just the fact that I wasn't into the episode really at all to this point. Uh, not a lot of action except for the drama at the break. So I went down to a three. Where are you? Well, like you, the story was, I guess I thought it was good, but not great. Um, what I liked about it was their, I guess, explanation of the geothermal use. Uh, you know, that's something that we're just now really kind of capturing on as far as modern world. So it's kind of cool to see how they were using and how they thought it through back in the eighties, you know? Yeah. The, like you said, the start was just didn't grab me. I mean, it was like I said, it's, it's, it's good, but not, um, if I were watching TV shows, I might actually try to flip the channel. Um, <laughs> but, um, I like that we were able to see Jacques, being added to the to the arsenal, the team rather, and we get to learn a little bit more about Nash. Not a whole lot, but we see that he's the yes man. Um, I'm a little confused of what he's going to do with the sales at this point, but I can only imagine that they're going to do something with what Matt was kind of illustrating with the cone and coffee cup there. Right, right. Um, what started driving me down was really the the obvious stuff all the obvious stuff well the sales are missing we'll find the guys there right no kidding that kind of stuff the jokes were starting to wear on me it's i i guess i'm being a little more optimistic like like i usually am but the cliffhanger was good for the commercial i didn't put too much thought in how you know uh, basically it would, the, the ground would tear apart and then basically reseal itself but i'm right at a four but it's 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 a hard four. Uh, what I mean is, uh, you know, it's like three point nine or something like that. But I'll I'll keep it at an even number for now. Okay. See where it goes from here. All right. Well, after the break, Scott and T Bob continue their Star Wars garbage masher like struggle <laughs> with uh, Scott telling T Bob to keep pushing. If I push any harder, my circuits are going to explode like a firecracker. Good idea, T-Bob. What? What? I've always had a flair for the dramatic. And Scott opens up T-Bob's lid and shoots this, like, green laser beam flare uh, up overhead through that crack into the sky. Well, it just so happens that soaring above is Thunderhawk and Matt and Bruce, and they see this flare, and they call for their masks. Uh, Soaring now over this large crack, Matt somehow... Sees them inside again. Use spectrum to scan. The, the, yes, it, it's called mask just, for a yeah. reason. 
you're up, you know, several hundred feet in the air and you're looking down into a crack that's probably 50 or 100 feet deep in the dark, you know. Oh, it's got a debubber in there. <laughs> just use your spectrum mask to scan it. It would just would have made more sense. Anyway, Thunderhawk makes a abrupt landing. These telephone poles ought to take the edge off. Lift up on Bruce hops out and uses Lifter to pull two telephone poles out of the ground. And then he lays them in the crack. And then Matt yells Scott to, obviously, get out of there. And he hops on T-Bob, who converts to scooter mode. And he drives up these poles like a ramp and jumps pretty high (laughs) out of the hole. I I jokingly said they pulled a General Lee moment right there. uh, Yeah. Excessively high jump. It was. Well, uh... Matt and Bruce rush over with Matt telling T-Bob good work. And T-Bob says it's nothing. It's what he is there for as he (laughs) faints. Basically, yeah. Rolling my eyes. I don't know. I just thought, okay, if you're going to use a lifter mask, just lift them out of there instead of this whole telephone pole trick. Very true. (sighs) It would have been a lot quicker. But I I know what they're trying to go for. They're trying to go for the dramatics. But you're right. Lifter's there. Use it. Why go through all the trouble of lifting two telephone poles so that at the last minute the robot can scoot on out of there, literally? Just Right, yeah. right. So anyway, so uh, Matt and Bruce remove their masks, and Bruce puts his lifter in uh, Thunderhawk, and uh, Brenda, the hostess there, she runs over and gives the duo a hug, happy that they're all right. Scott! T-Bob! Thank goodness you two are all right. You two stay here where it's safe. If this is safe, I'd hate to see it when it's dangerous. Scott tells him, sure, Dad, as Matt and Bruce hop back in Thunderhawk. And Matt peeks his head out and tells Greta, I guess it's Greta. Is it Greta or Brenda? Anyway. Brenda. uh, To uh, take care of them. And Thunderhawk turns around and takes off. And uh, then she says, maybe they can uh, have some more pickled herring for lunch. As Scott jokes, maybe they'll have another earthquake. (laughs) I thought that was funny. Yeah, that was actually good. Uh, We're getting a little bit better humor. And then uh, now we head back over to the steam plant. Right, where Tommy appreciates Matt's offer to help, but he states that there's really nothing he can do. It wasn't a natural disaster and has asked him to look at a severed pipe where the vents have been welded shut. Welds made by a laser. It will take hours to get them open and functioning again. Or why would anyone want to do something like this? Why indeed. We right. now cut back to the Tundra where Bruce states that there is no sailcloth in sight now. Did it's... you notice that uh, they did a costume change yes. in the scene? Yes. So, but in the in the plant, they're back in their civvies, and then now <laughs> they're back in their uh, mask uniforms. Right. I whatever. Um, <laughs> Bruce is perplexed at why Venom would want the sailcloth. Max states that they're craftier than a Viking sea dog, and says that the computer will give them the answer. 
Just then we see the transport plane arrive. It opens its front cargo doors. Then it closes and takes off. We don't really see anything. like Jacques is playing hide-and-seek again. As we scan the landscape, we first see, don't see anything whatsoever. Then we see the lines, like kind of like the Wonder Woman invisible jet. Right, yeah, exactly. Suddenly, the chameleon reveals itself with Jacques jumping out and saying, Jacques Le Fleur and Volcano Van at your service. <laughs> and Bruce quips, uh, talk about popping out of the woodwork. Uh-huh. Which is a reference to his occupation. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I like this entrance. You, you think about how the new vehicles have been introduced up to this point. Uh, each one has kind of given us a, a little bit about them. You think about the, uh, the the Stinger vehicle when it comes out of that scorpion shell. That was a really cool moment when... Uh, when Firecracker is destroyed and Hondo gets Hurricane, there's that fun introduction moment. Right. And uh, I thought this was a, a, even though it was brief and uh, it, you're basically just showing off his uh, mask power. Uh, but I don't know. I thought it was a fun introduction to the new agent in the vehicle. Oh, yeah. Uh, suddenly a, a beeping alarm is heard with the team huddling around their monitors. The computer states that Reykjavik was once a Viking harbor between the New World and Scandinavia and the stronghold for plundered Viking gold and treasure for several hundred years. You are right, Matt. Around 900 AD, a massive snowfall covered the harbor and later it was completely buried by volcanic lava. Hmm. It is possible the snow may have preserved the harbor and the treasure. No wonder mayhem scouting the area. But if they know where it is, wouldn't Venom just blast their way in? Mayhem would never risk it. Digging or blasting would destroy the treasure. Mm-hmm. Then we're taken back to basically scanning the terrain. Right. At this point, Bruce says they think they might have found a way to lift the city off of its foundation. And Matt formulates their plan to use the sails as a large balloon, essentially, filled with steam to do just that, but he just doesn't know when at this time. And I, I don't know, this whole sequence, you know, they were heavily dependent on the, what the computer was going to bring back to them. Yeah. And uh, like you said, it was very, <laughs> it was almost like, uh, you know, you could have brought the uh, Scooby-Doo team in to uh, solve this mystery. Yeah. And they wouldn't have had a problem. And then they depend on the computer to, essentially do the work for them. Uh, and then Matt gets this, you know, idea about uh, making this balloon. But anyway, uh, it seemed kind of clunky to me. I guess I'll, I'll say that. That's anyway, we part. head back to the hotel uh, or the, uh, the house there. Scott and T-Bob are helping uh, the cleanup by putting jars of pickled herring back on the shelves in the basement. Well, now they're bearing the smell. Uh, Scott sees a hole in the wall. Hey, T-Bob, 
This must be one of those lava tubes underneath the city that Mr. Linquist was telling us about. Ah, I bet it doesn't smell like this in there. Woo! Here's your chance to find out. Let's see where the tunnel goes. Somehow, I had the feeling you were going to say that. They climb in and we cut over to Venom. Now, Venom, uh, Mayhem is telling Rax to open this valve. Steam begins to fill this uh, makeshift balloon as Mayhem urges it to keep rising. The buildings uh, above the ground begin to rise, of course. And in the tunnel, Scott is riding T-Bob in scooter mode. And I hate the sound. We've heard yes, the sound again yes, of yes. T-Bob. It's just that putt-putt sound. What was that? It certainly wasn't my ears popping. <laughs> it's not a scooter. <laughs> no, we've actually heard you know a decent scooter sound motor before. And yeah. I don't know why they've chosen this clunky sound. I don't know. It, it sounds like a coffee percolator or something. I mean, it's just, it's not a scooter. No. And they, they there's episodes where they really get this, the uh, effects, the vehicle effects really good. We've noted that before. And there's just some that, I don't know, they just decide to put a sound in there that doesn't work well. Anyway, well, now Scott asked what that uh, big noise was as they're going down this tube. And... T-Bob says it wasn't his ears popping. Uh, we cut back over to Mask now. Matt is riding shotgun in Volcano with Bruce driving Thunderhawk. And Matt gets his lava shot mask from above. This is his uh, another uh, uniform change. <laughs> the track that diverted geothermal energy for miles, Matt. Yeah, Venom's going to have quite the heating bill. But where do we send it? I, I thought this would have been another good place to use, like Spectrum or whatever, just to show how yeah. they were tracking the heat. I don't know. Anyway, Mask uh, continues traveling towards the city as uh, it continues to rise. And now we go back underground. We finally see the Sailmakers, and uh, Mayhem's got them tied up. So inside the Venom Outlaw tanker, we see Miles, who's wearing his new suit, Python. Mm-hmm. Announce, brace yourself, then instructs Rax, now! Using the piranha lasers, Rax shoots a hole in the balloon, and it pops, sending this tremendous, like, I would call it a tornadic-type wind through the tunnels. The duo stops and asks, what is it? With T-Bob asking, where did the dirty laundry come from? As they Uh are now blown away. T-Bob transforms off-screen and begins walking into the headwinds with Scott pushing him. Mm-hmm. He yells, Keep going, T-Bob! Okay. For every step forward, we take two steps backward. But we'll be back where we started in no time. Maybe that's not such a bad idea after all. Above, the mass vehicles arrive with Matt saying that Spectrum displays that all of the heat is being diverted to this certain point. And what the heck is Spectrum doing when he's... Wearing the freaking lava shot mask. Right, right, yeah. They screwed that up there. I, and I again, I know they want to... This is a 22-minute toy commercial, so they <laughs> they want to show off all these uh, new uh, masks and vehicles and such. But yeah, he's not wearing Spectrum, obviously. No. So when they decide to use it, which they didn't actually show them using it, they got it wrong. 
It's just crazy. Anyway, suddenly a large blast of air erupts. And Jock states that the tunnel to Venom's hideout dead ahead as they enter. Venom comes upon the treasure and the fleet. Wow, it's a lost fleet! You were right, Mr. Mayhem. You always are. Yes, sir. Wow! Do you see what I see? Yeah, Viking gold and silver. But who let those pirates in? We've got to call Dad. But my radio still jammed shut. You never fixed it. I guess I didn't need to. Look! Mask! Just then, coincidentally, we hear the squeals from the mask vehicles. Uh, Miles turns and says that he won't let them ruin his plans and instructs the team to keep them away from his treasure. Venom gets into their vehicles and we see all of the masks lower on the individuals with no command. But I do like the animation. I'll give them that. Yeah, it was good. It was a good sequence. Yeah. Uh, I just like to know how the mask lowers onto Rax. <laughs> right. <laughs> Is there a, like a arm, articulating arm behind him that comes out of the taillight of freaking Piranha? I don't know. Um, uh, maybe anyway, it's just him doing a selfie and he's just putting it on his own head from the side. <laughs> Could be. <laughs> so anyway, Rax fires and blasts a pile of gold coins. The jackhammer and outlaw transform and begin blasting away. Volcano now transforms and we see uh, Jacques on the on the turret blasting mm -hmm. at Venom. We turn to see Bruce saying that this will bring down the house with him using Lifter to raise the sail first onto Switchblade. Then it actually falls onto Rax. Matt compliments him saying, great cover-up, Bruce. <sighs> yes. Jock says that Volcano Sandblaster should touch up his paint job as he chases Jackhammer, and it sprays onto Jackhammer, but to me, I don't think it did a thing, anything, whatsoever. That's exactly what I wrote in my notes. I'm not sure what that was supposed to do. Why would Jackhammer just drive away by shooting sand at him? I don't yeah. know. <laughs> anyway, Jock frees the sailmakers and then jokes it's time to for his I wasn't sure if he said this right. His hoodie? Is that what he says? I don't I uh I had problems understanding him <laughs> yeah. throughout this second half of the episode. It sounded like he says that it's his hoodie number. And then uses Mirage to says, turn vol Volcano Invisible. Houdini. Houdini is what he says, yes. Yeah, I don't know how to... The, uh, Houdini, the, basically, the disappearing act of yeah. using uh, his mask. Mirage on! Hey, where'd he go? He won't get away, even if I can't see him. <laughs> So he just starts firing away, and the impact of his uh, lasers against the wall opens up this lava tube of hot mud. And uh, <laughs> Gory says this isn't a Saturday night bathwater that he's got here, and I'm getting out of here. And Outlaw drives away. Well, Scott sees this mud now as the flow is running towards him and T-Bob. They climb up to this uh, little plateau of uh, like a rock formation as the mud now encircles them. 
Matt sees them and wonders what they are doing here, as usual. <laughs> Bruce quickly puts Thunderhawk in jet mode and flies over the mud, and he uses Lifter to grab uh, the duo. Meanwhile, we've got Switchblade and Piranha emerging from that uh, large sail that uh, Bruce you know, put over them. Uh, apparently, they didn't <laughs> do any damage to their vehicles when they crashed. Uh, mm-hmm. underneath there and i actually i don't know if it was just the uh, my monitor or whatever but it seemed dark when i was trying to look at switchblade and this the scene where he puts the sail over them and when they emerge it the it was just dark and i couldn't tell exactly what was going on it must have been your screen where the vehicles were and such i was having trouble hmm. seeing switchblade Bring the harbor. No one will have the treasure now. Let's get out of here. Huh? I mean, after all that, after all that effort that they put into it, he's just ah, screw it. Let's get out of here. That's yeah, that's what he does. <laughs> ah, anyway. So the uh, mud is now closing in, and the mask team makes a break for it from inside volcano. Matt says he's going to put an end to the mud flow. Well, he directs Volcano down this lava tube, but it's actually Bruce who lands Thunderhawk, spins it around, and shoots the door lasers at the ceiling, causing the rubble to essentially block the mud in the tube. So this is, and then Matt says, uh, I think he said something about that'll seal the deal or something. Anyway, it sounded more like he somehow switched vehicles to me. Yeah, I mean, it was like he was going to do that himself in Volcano, but it's actually Bruce doing the action. So, right. I, I don't know. It was just a discontinuity a there. Mistake. I hate to say it, and you know, it's been 30 years, and I'm sorry, Doug, but it sounded like maybe Doug maybe screwed up the line. Like He was supposed to be doing Bruce's know. line. But they know. were showing... They showed Matt a couple times, so did they? I, 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 guess I think it was set up for him to, uh, you know, maybe they had to ad lib there or something just to keep the episode going. But anyway, after they block the mud, uh, he speeds away, and Matt asks Scott for an explanation. In trouble again, Scott. If it isn't too much to ask, what's your excuse this time? Well, Dad, would you believe making mud pies? But did you notice oh. it was an older voice? It's like he made a mistake and kind of did like an older boy voice of Scott. Anyway, so uh, we head back to the uh, house there where uh, Tommy says the damage from the balloon to the city wasn't that bad and the power was restored to the plant. I think her name is Greta. I I wrote down Greta. Anyway, she tells Scott to uh, maybe he'll come back next year when the Viking treasure will be on display. I guess the uh, the hot mud didn't cover up that much. I guess not. Um, Scott gives a wow, and that he'd like that, and Matt agrees, and uh, the woman there gives Scott a souvenir from their trip. I have a special memento for you of your trip. Pickled herring. What do you think, Scott? Scott! Ooh, what's the matter, Scott? Part of herring? 
Oh, As God. we laugh and fade out. <laughs> and we fade up into our wonderful PSA. Yes, where Scott is climbing up a ladder to retrieve a kite that's somehow stuck on the roof. As he reaches for it, he begins to lose his balance. T-Bob, what are you doing? Hold the ladder before I fall off. Well, oh, why didn't you say so? He then turns and takes his hand off the ladder, seemingly distracted with it being muddy where he's standing. Scott yells again and then explains that standing on a ladder is dangerous. Always hold the ladder when someone is standing on it so they don't fall. T-Bob says he's right. It's the only way to reach new heights as Scott ends up slipping in the mud anyway. <laughs> well, he, we freeze-framed at the end there. We didn't really see him... Uh get the full mud bath no. that I was waiting for, but <laughs> anyway. <sighs> Do I dare even ask? <laughs> well, just compared to again, I, I like to think about the last few episodes that we reviewed and how this one fits in uh, with those. I had to rate it lower. Uh, I pulled it down to a two. I don't know. It had, you know, the initial introduction of Jacques and Volcano, like I mentioned. I really liked that. Um, I thought the animation was really pretty good for the characters. Uh, it was a little off, I guess, maybe when showing the mask vehicles in motion. Seemed a little, I don't know. It just seemed different when they were, you know, speeding across the plane there and some other angles and stuff during the battle. I thought the characters looked good, but the vehicles might have been off a little bit. Uh, I, I don't know. As far as the stuff that made that kind of brought the rating down for me, it was I really didn't understand how Venom was able to raise the roof, you know, or raise that the city, mm-hmm. and then popping the balloon. What that was supposed to do. And then how the roof kind of came back into position and didn't cave in after they let it down. I, I don't know. I just didn't understand that whole, uh, the logistics of how they were going to try to get to these ships. Right. It just didn't, didn't make sense to me. So that being the crucial part of the episode of how they're trying to get to this treasure and everything. And I didn't even understand it. I was like, okay. Um, Again, and again, this was maybe just me, and I'll, I'll put this more into the ticks, but the battle at the end just seemed very dark, and it was hard for me to see some of the action that was going on there. The sandblasters that they used on Jackhammer that one time, you know, I mean, that's a pretty inventive weapon, you know, having sandblasters, but I don't know. I just didn't understand why that would hurt Jackhammer or make him want to get out of there. Of course, Mayhem gave up too quickly as usual. And then that whole scene at the end there where they were trying to seal up the tube with the mud and between Matt and Bruce, that was just uh, took me out of the episode there. Uh, to me, it was a little difficult to understand both Tommy and Jacques just with the accents. And again, I'm not trying to put too much weight into that as far as the rating and stuff goes. Cause I know those aren't exactly easy accents to do, <laughs> but uh, there's a couple times I had to rewind and 
just try to get exactly what they were saying. Right. And there was even a couple times with Jacques. I was like, I have no idea what he just said. I'm moving on. <laughs> so, and then the only other little tick that I had was uh, as, as cool as the introduction of Volcano was, we really didn't get anything for Outlaw. And maybe we will later in the episode, but this was the first uh, time we saw Outlaw and we didn't really get a proper introduction to him or Nash glory. They were just kind of there. Oh, okay. There he's part of the team now kind of a thing. So again, that was more of a tick and I would have liked to see uh, just maybe one quick scene with them coming on scene or doing some little function with the vehicle to introduce it. But anyway, I just, this was not an episode for me. (laughs) I pushed it down to a two. What did you, what was your final verdict, sir? Well, just through doing this episode on air, I've already changed my vote. Um, I voted a four initially on the on the polls, and it's already come down. Uh, there were just too many errors. A lot of good animation. They they spent the time with the animation, but they made some mistakes. Where they, uh, like you mentioned, they changed, you know, Matt and Bruce changed into their business attire, and then back to their flight suits. In between, you know, talking with Tommy and then going back to the, basically the scene. Um, the confusion of Matt talking and Bruce doing, or if Matt somehow teleported into Thunderhawk, I, the whole last bit just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed um, it, it was a smaller glitch, but I noticed when Volcano and Thunderhawk are traveling in the in the tundra at first, you notice. A volcano's wheels, the hubcaps really, aren't moving. They're not animated. Maybe that's going, what I saw. And when, but when we're, they're going back, they're they're now animated. Yeah, that that was just. There were some weird things that I took away from the, the vehicles moving. I guess that was one detail I didn't note, but that's what made it look weird for me. Right. The whole Matt calls his lava shop mask spectrum uh, it just a flub there um the whole scooter motor of t-bob oh, yeah. which is lousy the whole the the fact that bruce could have simply used lifter to pull the you know the duo out rather than make it this extravagant telephone pole and right and he did that later in the episode and that's what i was like well, why didn't he just do that before instead of all that whole telephone pole trick? Right. <laughs> Our vehicle battle was okay, but it seemed very brief to me. Uh, I liked this, the yeah. sail trapping switchblade and piranha, but it seemed like it was an extended entrapment. Like, you know, I guess I, I would assume in real life, and I know it's a cartoon, but if it's going to do something to the switchblade, it's either going to, Switchblades, chopper blades are either going to cut that to shreds right. in an instant, or it's going to send the chopper falling like crazy because it's you know the blades are caught up. Right, and so, I I, I want to say there was a sound effect there too when it crashed that it would have made it appear. Uh, you would assume that uh, there was some damage there when it was just more or less. Uh, oh, I can't see. Let me. Okay, we get this off of here and let's get out of here. You know. 
Right. I don't and know. Then, you know, the, <laughs> and the PSA had no connection. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I, I'm down to a three. It's not terrible. The animation kind of keeps it from getting any lower, but I'm, I, yeah, it's about, it's down the middle. Well, uh, did you see any similarities at all to what we wrote in our script? Unfortunately, no. I didn't either. So uh, let's move right along to our listener poll and feedback. Um, so did you change your vote or should I just move one of the fours to a three? Yeah, we'll move a four to a three. I don't know. Okay. So we had 16 votes total. Uh, four people thought this was a five. Six fours, four threes, and two twos. So, yeah, around that, I guess the fours were actually were the majority. But uh, after moving your vote, probably not by much. Right. But uh, there wasn't any, any ratings lower than a two. I thought there might be on this one. Right. But uh, we had a couple comments. We have uh, three. We have two on Discuss, and then we have one on Blogger. Oh, we do. Okay, great. So uh, our first is our buddy Anna. That's right. She goes into length. Uh, this is an okay episode, but it's not among my favorites. The most interesting part of it is that it features the first appearance of Jacques Lefer in Volcano and Nash Gory in Outlaw. In addition, both Matt Tracker and Miles Mayhem wear new masks and uniforms. Apart from this, there was a lot about this episode I did not like. I suppose it has a lot to do with the fact that it takes place in a country that lies quite close to my own instead of a, in a place that I probably know less about than the people who have made the episodes. Even though I'm, I've never been to Iceland or... Reykjavik. Thank you. <laughs> I can guarantee you that the city looks a lot more modern than it's portrayed in this episode. I even Googled it to make sure. Even though the city has an old part with low wooden houses like we see here, it's also a modern city with large shopping centers, and etc. And it doesn't consist of just the types of buildings we see in the episode. I can also guarantee you that the Icelandic people aren't a bunch of idiots who wear <laughs> their native costumes on a daily basis and survive almost solely on herring that they have stored in glasses in their basement. Another thing that annoyed me were the accents. The Islamic man in this episode spoke the weirdest accent I've heard in the entire series. And this is not at all how the Icelandic accent sounds like. I actually Googled this as well to make sure. I also noticed that the woman and the captain didn't speak like him. Mm -hmm. Although they should be speaking the same accent. If it's any comfort to, to, uh, to you, I can assure you but I also have the same prejudice towards countries that are far away that I've never been to as everyone else has. And I suppose that's really what this is all about. There's even a DuckTales episode from Norway where the people wear 19th century-like clothes that I'm doing my best to forget that even exists. <laughs> if you're asking me if there's anything I liked about this episode, apart from the new agents and masks, I suppose the part with the treasure wasn't so bad but the entire portrayal of Iceland and its people and the impression people who know nothing about the country must be left with after having seen this was just a little too weird. 
And that's right. You know, I realize a lot of people, they didn't have Google back then. They might have had the Britannica Encyclopedia, and that's the best they had to kind of understand these groups. I mean, think about, you know, we pick on Alex. We assume that he's some sort of British character, but we don't really know where his accent really is supposedly formed. Right. Unless it's a spin on that, just like a comical spin. But you're right. They should have done more research. They should have done kind of the due justice for these people, like the characters at least. And even followed through, like you said, the captain and the woman didn't really have that same accent. So you're right. Yeah. Uh, Unless they're uh, transplant, you know, U.S. or British people, you know, you don't, (laughs) they don't really fit the whole episode correctly. Yeah. Well, it, it, almost sounded Swedish or Dutch. It was really thick. You could tell it was, uh, uh, who does Brad? Is it Graham McKenna? Yes. I think think Graham McKenna does Brad. Um, you could tell it was him doing the accent, but yeah, when Sharon spoke as the woman and I don't know who did the captain, but it really wasn't that thick of an accent. So, uh, yeah, that that part of it definitely contributed my rating as well. But um, let's go on to Scott Crawford and uh, his comment. He says, I agree with the comments left by Anna. Some stereotypes in there that are incorrect. It's great to see a new agent, two new vehicles, and some new masks. However, Matt mentioned Spectrum, even though he's wearing Lava Shot. We identified that. And then uh, the only mask that gets any action is Mirage. And even then, he's only toying with Matt and Bruce. Well, he does use it uh, during the battle there when he moves out of the way of Nash Gory when he shoots the the opening for the mud. But, yeah, I mean, it was only his mask in this episode. Right. Uh, so Scott continues. Yeah, he was only toying with Matt and Bruce, hiding from them as he comes off of the uh, transport plane. Why is switchblade there when mayhem and gory have outlaw? That's another thing that I was thinking too. It was a little weird seeing uh, mayhem in his outlaw gear and mask, which I think is still Viper. I can't remember. Did they call it like Viper two or something. No, anyway, I wrote that down. Um... I can't remember what his mask is for outlaw, but it looks Weird seeing him in that getup, and he's inside Switchblade when Outlaw is there, and obviously it's a a, a two man vehicle. So that was a good point there, Scott. Uh, Outlaw is shown with a gun in place of the grappling hook, which is uh, in reference to the toy. There's a grappling hook there in the cab, uh, but they're using lasers in the uh, cartoon version. I'll say. Uh, Scott finishes by saying, it is a good episode, though, mainly for the new vehicles. Matt looks great in red. <laughs> so uh, I did. I do like the looks of that Lava Shot mask. And I think somebody commented, I put a screenshot of that up on Facebook, and somebody commented that he never actually uses the mask in the cartoon series. I guess mainly for the fact that <laughs> shooting hot lava at people is not going to be good. No. <laughs> or whatever, you know, whatever it does. But anyway, that's, uh, that kind of stinks that, uh, we don't get to see it used, but anyway, let's go over to our final comment here. Right. 
It says Go anonymous, ahead. but at the end they they sign off as greetings uh, from the Yatatube from the Netherlands. And yep. his comment is, I wonder why the first Icelandic man had an Italian accent. Doesn't seem right. <laughs> I forgot that Matt had a different suit for Volcano, just as he had a different one for Rhino. So three suits in total for Matt in the first series. Must be a bit confusing for new fans. Interesting to see that <laughs> Bruce drove Thunderhawk and funny to see that Scott fell after all in the PSA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he says, greetings from the YouTube channel, the Yada Tube. I'm a guy born in the 80s and Mask was my favorite cartoon. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Yada Tube. <laughs> and, yeah. um, obviously, it's one of our favorites. Uh, and if you listen to us at any length, like we've said in the, usually in the, the start of our series, we talk about just about anything that's relative, relevant to 80s. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, welcome. He, and thanks for your comments. He uh, leaves a lot of comments over on our uh, YouTube channel to our uh, recording sessions. So I've, I've gone back and forth with him quite a bit, actually. Um, but this was the first time he, he left a comment here. So we appreciate that. And uh, with that, I, that'll pretty much wrap up our uh, listener feedback and comments. And let's uh, let's see what we're going to do next as far as uh, our episode reviews. Uh, number 48 is next called Quest of the Canyon. Mask goes to Carlsbad Caverns, which I believe is in Arizona in the United States, where Venom plans to steal the lost treasure of the legendary gunman Jesse James. Ooh. So we are going after uh, treasure. We're back home in the U.S. And I don't know, I wonder if we'll uh, finally see Boulder Hill for once. <laughs> yeah, I know. Boulder Hill. Uh, but since, <laughs> since they're in the U.S., Maybe we'll get to see some new agents. I know. I know we got some. Julio Lopez is coming sometime soon. I, I swear he is. Yeah. So I uh, hope so. It, it, maybe it's forty-nine or fifty before he comes in. But uh, we're looking forward to that. And uh, again, like we said in the uh, pre-show, illness and sickness come up in our families, and we haven't had a chance to do one of these episodes, which takes a little bit more production time and such. Uh, a lot easier to release those chats that we've done the last couple of times with Eric about the mass comics, but uh, we'll see if we can uh, we can get three more episodes done before the uh, end of the year and try to uh, try to finish this season of Mass Cast. But um, I'm, I'm if we don't, uh, there'll just be more for next year. <laughs> That's it. I know it's going to be a little bit rough. I know with the holidays coming up. Uh, right, but like Jason said, we're we'll do our best, and I know there's a, at least one more mass cast chat that'll come out with the new uh, comic book coming out here. What November thirtieth is what the date yeah. I saw. November thirtieth. So yep. I'm sure we'll. Uh, it might be a, one, at least one episode, maybe in the new year. It's a carryover, but uh, you know we'll see. Yeah, but uh, it's always been a fun ride doing uh, podcasts and specifically mass cast with you Jason and uh, all the agent fans it's it's awesome to do this uh, it's a pleasure and on behalf of Jason this is White and thank you for listening to MassCast.
Mask Cast. Let's get out of here!